Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor, and it's great to see you today. Can we give a big welcome to all of our campuses, our West Campus, Appleton Campus, Online Campus, Germantown Campus. All right, if you're at one of our campuses, we're glad to have you here today and or there today. And uh, so it's great to see you on this beginning of this new year. 2015 is going to be a great year. I really believe that. And I, and I believe that it will be for you as well. Uh, today, I want to, if you take your Bibles and turn me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 29, I'm just going to give you a very simple, uh, today, a very simple um, kind of a thought, if you would. But I think it's profound. Uh, and, and I love this time of the year. You have to know, like, I, I love January 1. Uh, I love fresh starts. I love new years. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the kid that love going back to school in the fall because you got new clothes and a new pencil box and new pencils and erasers and notebooks. Anybody else? Take me back. All right. And uh, I'm out like a new backpack. I'm, I'm all about like a fresh start of the, the deal. And so the new year gives you a chance to have a fresh start. The theologian G.K. Chesterton said that the beginning of the year does not only give you a fresh start, but it gives your, your soul an opportunity for a fresh start. And I love that, man. I, I love it. It's a great on-ramp. And I don't know how many of you have already started a diet and quit. I have, but I'm going to start again tomorrow. Amen. Not today, tomorrow. Holla. So anyhow, um, so uh, it, it's just a great time to reflect on the year past. It's a great time to kind of retire a year. Maybe last year was a tough year for you. Uh, 2014 for me had some highs and some lows. And 2014 was one of those years I'm glad it's done. Uh, and we have those years from time to time. And it's just one of those things. And 2015, in my opinion, promises, at least in my world, going to be a great, great, great year. Now, I'm an optimist. So I'm, I'm, let's go get it. Let's make it happen. Uh, you know, and so I'm, I'm all about that. But it's just a great time to have a fresh start and a clean slate. Not everybody feels this way, though. I mean, when you get around people, even at church, unfortunately, not everybody's this way because, you know, you got what I call the joy suckers. You know what I'm saying? Just people that just suck the joy right out of you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you can be on, like, cloud nine. You get around them, like, is it really that bad? Is the sky really falling? Right? You know, got a little engine that could. Anybody? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And then you got like Chicken Little, the sky's falling. The sky. I mean, that's the two basic things. Everything you need to know about life, you learned it in the first grade. I mean, this is real simple, right? And, uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that there's many people in the world in which we live in, and sometimes even in the church, they're de desireless, they're passionless, they're purposeless, they're hopeless. They're unconcerned, meaning, look, I don't have a driving motivation to really do anything. Uh, they're, they're, they're indifferent. It's kind of a take-it-or-leave-it attitude. You know, you like it, you like it, you don't, you don't, whatever it is. Unresponsive. Just, just blank. Just no real detached. There's no genuine connection. I don't really care a whole lot about anything. It's all going to go to pot anyhow. Why does it matter? Lethargic. There's no energy. I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about us as adults right now. Uh, inactive. There's just a non-committal attitude. And generally in the world in which we live, this is pretty typical. And why is this? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. Because Proverbs gives us the answer of why people live life desirelessness and, and, desire, and passionlessly and purposelessly and hopelessly. It's really simple. Proverbs 29, verse 18, you know this verse. It says this, where there is no vision, people perish. Where there's no vision, 
people perish. Where there's no vision, people die. Where there's no vision, people don't flourish. Where there's no vision, everything comes to the end. And I'll tell you, this is true in every area of your life. Where there's no vision for your finances, you will bankrupt. Where there's no vision for your career, you'll be out of work. Where there's no vision for, for your future, you won't have one. There's no vision for your children, they won't have one. There's no vision in any area of your life. Spiritually, you will be dead, D-O-A, dead on arrival. The, the word vision there in the original language in the Hebrew is the word kazon. And kazon simply means this, it's a dream or a revelation or a vision can be interpreted any one of those three ways. Where there's no dream, people die. Where there's no revelation, which we know revelation only comes to the Holy Spirit, people die. Where there's no vision, there's no future, there's no people die. Because a vision or a dream or revelation will bring focus to your life. It'll bring clarity to your life. It'll give you endurance through those rough seasons of life. It'll bring fulfillment to your life. So I just simply want to ask you this question today. What's your kazone? What's your dream? What's the vision that you have for your life? What's the vision that God has for your life? And I know some of you are going, oh, here we go. It's coming. New year, new you. Here he goes again. Blah, 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 blah. Well, just kind of just entertain this for an idea. I want to ask you just one simple question that I want you to fill out. This is for you. Write this down. I don't care if you grab a something in the seat pocket in front of you and there's a pen on your seat. If you write it on your hand, whatever you have to do. But here is probably, I think, outside of your relationship with Christ, the single second most important question that you should ask yourself. It's this. I, put your name there, am created to blank. I, my name would be Aaron Cole, am created to blank. I, whatever your name is, I, my name, created to blank. How do you fill that out? I mean, I, you know, I don't know, dude. I, I mean, like, you know, I'm just kind of like trading days for dollars. I'm just trying to make ends meet. I'm just trying to pay the bills. I, I'm just trying to take care of the mortgage and the SUV payment. Man, I'm just trying to get a job. Man, I'm just trying to get through with school. I'm just trying to. So you're just doing day in and day out. More mud, more straw. That's an Old Testament Book of Hebrews, I mean, the, the Hebrew people, the, the Israelites, the Jews, is kind of their slavery mentality. No. You want to know why there's no joy in your life or in your walk? You don't have a vision. You want to know why there's any, like, like zest in what you do? Because you have no dream. You want to know why you just kind of just, you know, here we go. The sky's falling. You know, this is all there is. Somewhere, maybe life will be better, but this is what it is today. Because you have no revelation of what you're supposed to do. And can I tell you, and even if you're a Christ follower, you need to get this, that the, that the ideology of no vision, no future, those of you that tune me out, that's the spirit of the Antichrist in you. That's the spirit of the Antichrist that's in this world. That's the spirit of the Antichrist that wants to take residency in our churches. And you go, whoa, 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 you're talking about like 666, Mark of the Beast? No, the word Antichrist means something that's anti-God, that's opposite from. Yes, there is an antichrist, a person that we understand in the, in, in, the, in the eschaton of time, as theologians would call it, in the book of Revelation. But I'm talking about in us, in our churches, in our ideologies, and even sometimes in our speech, if we're not careful, we will say things very flippantly and very lightly that are very anti-God, that are anti-biblical. The Bible says that without a dream, without a vision, without a purpose, without a plan, without a focus for your life, you're going to die and you're going to amount to nothing. 
And that's not how God created us. The Bible says that God the creator spoke you and I into existence. The Bible says that we were formed even in our mother's womb. God had a plan for us. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, says that God's given us a future and a hope. We find out that Paul in the pastoral epistles written to Timothy and to Titus, that he encourages you should desire to lead. You should desire to have a vision. We see this all throughout scripture. We just read about it all last month. God spoke to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, your I am statement is you will be the father of the savior of the world. Mary, through a vision, you will be the mother of the savior of the world. Through a visitation, Abraham, you will be the father of a great nation that I will keep a promise with. Moses, through a burning bush experience, through a vision, I've called you to, to take me, the great I am, and to lead my people from bondage into life. It's all through scripture, people. Read it. It's called the Bible. It'll help. And the reality is if we're not careful, what happens is we just kind of tune that out and we just kind of dumb that down and we just kind of, we just kind of get into this rhythm of day in and day out and I'm just going to do this. You're going to work 50 weeks for two weeks off? That's your plan? You're just going to work until you die? That's your plan? No, if you're breathing, if you're living, if you're sitting here today, whether you're at the West Campus, you're the Appleton Campus, you're watching online because you were too scared to get out in the snow, I'm just saying, whatever it may be, God has a plan for your life. What is that? God has a purpose for your life. He's got a passion for your life. The Bible says God will never ask of us what we don't have the ability to do. God's word is his word. And when his word says that without a vision, you die, he'll never ask you to have something that you don't have the ability to do. No, quite to the contrary. He will give you that vision. He will give you that purpose. He will give you that plan and that passion for your life. Now, let's just stop here real quick before I get all like super serious about this and just talk. Because I'm just going to say, because I know sometimes I, I'm at church and I kind of get this feeling. Because I didn't grow up, like my dad wasn't a pastor um, my dad, blue-collar factory worker. Uh, I grew up in a very working-class family. Uh, my dad still kind of thinks that what I do for a living is, uh, uh, what should we say, not hard. Um, he's always like, hey, if it's ever too tough over there at the church, the factory's always hiring, boy. And it's just one of those kind of a deal. Like, if you're a real man, you'll get up and do this. And, and of course, he gives me grief all the time. And if I'm ever, like, not in Wisconsin in the middle of wintertime, my dad goes, hey, those people know that you're not in the middle of that snowstorm? Uh, no, sir, I don't like exactly advertise this. And he goes, well, you better watch out because they may fire you and run you off from up there. They may think you're too weak and you can't handle it. That's, that's my dad, right? So welcome to the Cole household. Anyhow, so I didn't grow up in a pastor's home. And quite frankly, this was not really what I'm doing for my life, for my vocation, for my calling, for my chazon is not really what I wanted to do. I mean, I believe my I am statement is I, Aaron Cole, am created to pastor. This is what I do. I, I, don't, I don't desire to be anything more than this. This is what I want to give my life to. This is what I feel like God's called me to. What Tammy and I both feel like our, our lives are called to. But I can tell you as a kid growing up in church, this is the last thing I wanted to do. Now, I wanted to be a Christ follower and I love Jesus. Um, but quite frankly, I, what I wanted to do, had I done it my way, if God would have let me do it my way, I would have gone into business. I would have gotten a degree. 
I'd have gone into business. And quite frankly, what I would have simply done is I would have just been a great, like, support to the pastor and to the church. Because I was raised, man, you went to church every time the doors were open. Uh, uh, you know, I, I was raised that, man, it didn't matter what was happening. If there was a prayer meeting, if there was a revival service, if it was Sunday school, if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, it, it didn't matter. If those doors were open, we were there. We, and, and if you told mom, hey, mom, I'm sick, great, you need to get to church. Well, because that's what James says, if there's any sick among you, call the elders of the church, let them anoint you with oil, pray the prayer of faith, and you shall be made whole. So get up and put your clothes on, boy, you're going. And if that didn't work, I'd hear the, my dad's belt going through the belt loops. I was like, okay, yes, sir, I'll get right, right there in the car. And I was run out to the, that white Ford Torino. And I mean, this is the way it was. You just didn't, didn't miss church. And so I, I was around this my whole life, but this is not what I wanted to do. I just wanted to support the pastor, and I wanted to support the vision of the church. And, and I was just like, hey, Lord, you know, and you know how you make deals with God. Like, hey, if you'll let me do this, I'll, just, I'll be a business guy, and, and I'll give half of what I make. You know, I make a lot of money, Lord. I'll give half of it to the church and the work of the ministry. And you know how you can't bargain with God, right? Now, that's why I'm here and not doing something else. Because at the end of the day, it's just God has a plan and a purpose. And, and, and quite frankly, what I had seen in church wasn't what I wanted to give my life to. Because I grew up in church where people fought like cats and dogs over stupid stuff that had no eternal significance. I, I grew up and I would see people like whatever, you get a new pastor. And so whatever they did or did not do, everybody was critical of how she dressed or how their kids did or what they did do or didn't do, you'd hear about it. And if I would walk out in the hallway during a service, that's where a lot of the grown men that didn't want to sit in there because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would sit out there and quote-unquote hold their kids and take care of their children. But they would talk about football and what had happened the day before, but then they would talk about the pastor or the church. I remember one time dating a girl in high school, and uh, I was at their house and came over, and there was a group of people that were there, and, and I knew all the people that were there because we all went to church together. And uh, they were doing what's called a petition, and they were signing a petition against the pastor trying to get him voted out, as they would call it, because they didn't like something he was doing. It wasn't immoral. It wasn't illegal. It wasn't sinful. They just didn't like the man. And I remember seeing just that kind of stuff go on, and I was like, God, you want me to spend my life doing that? Like, there is no way I want to give my life to that. They're, 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 that's meaningless. These people want to fight. They, they, it's, as Moses would say, they're a stiff-necked people. I mean, these people, they just, God, really? And come on, Lord, just God, I will give them missions. I will go on mission trips. I will. Senior in high school, man, I saw the, my home church completely split. People just erupted. See, my dad, my father, cry three times. That was one of the times I saw my dad at the front of the church with his head in his hands, crying and saying, I did everything I could. To this day, my dad will not be a member of a local church. He goes to church every week, loves Jesus passionately, gives, supports the pastor. But I knew God had called me. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll go to Bible college, but I want to be an evangelist. That was my idea. I'll be an evangelist. I, I want to like kind of just come in and preach and teach, and then I'm out. Peace out, Girl Scout. And let somebody else deal with those church people. Let somebody else deal with all that, because I don't want to fight them. I don't want a referee. I don't feel like I'm working at Foot Locker, you know, with a referee shirt on and just like, brrr, 
okay, stop, you know, okay, start. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to manage people like I'm herding cats and I, I'll just go in and do that. And so I, I started Bible college and that's what I was going to do. And actually we, I started, I was traveling and, and I would sing and we'd preach on the weekends and we would do this. And that's, Actually, my senior in, in college, I mean, I did that, like, I was in town four weekends because I was just booked every weekend going and doing that, and this is what I'm going to do. And, and one summer, I'm at a little country church. You're talking about country come to town, Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. You don't get much more country than Walnut Ridge. And so I was working there for the summer, and I was interning. It was a small church. And uh, I was actually, the church had like what they called evangelist quarters. And these small churches, they'd have a church parsonage, but they'd also have, basically it was a Sunday school classroom that they'd converted, and there was a bathroom in there. And so that's where I lived in the summer, that summer. And then, uh, and then uh, there was a, like, it was right off the church kitchen. So then I would go into the church kitchen, and they gave me like a little shelf, and uh, like in the refrigerator, and I, you know, people were supposed to stay out of my food, but they didn't. I'm still kind of getting over that. But you can mess with a lot of things in life, just don't mess with my food. And so... And I mean, in that church, I remember you had to walk in all the way to the front of the building by the sanctuary, and you had to walk all the way back through the auditorium, down a long hallway, past the restrooms, the foyer, down the Sunday school classrooms, to the very back, to this fellowship hall area where my room was. I don't know if you've ever been at church at nighttime, but it's scary. It's like, are the angels here? It's like the spiritual war. Anybody else get scared? I get wigged out going to church. If it's dark... If, you, if there was like a hidden camera, it would see me doing some Jackie Chan and some, I'm getting out of here. I was, because uh, I was like, I just knew somebody was going to pull a prank on me and jump out and scare me and, you know, the whole deal. And so, I mean, but I, I spent that summer. And in that summer, the Lord really dealt with my heart about this is what I want you to do. You're the pastor at the local level. And I surrendered between my sophomore and my junior year in college. I went back that fall, changed my major, and just said, this is what I'm going to do, and began on that journey. And when I graduated uh, two years later, the guys I were traveling with, I said, look, guys, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to go youth pastor. I'm going to serve the local church. This is what I feel like I'm called to do. This is what God wants me to do. And, and I say all that not to say, like, I hate what I do and I hate my life, but I'm doing this because God's called me to do it. No, 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 no. I have a great life. Don't weep for me, Argentina. Life is good, man. I love what I get to do. But the reality is, is that sometimes the things that God calls us to do are things that we don't really necessarily feel are in our sweet spot. Sometimes the things or the places that God calls us to go to are not always things that we're all really geeked out about in the beginning. Sometimes we have a whole different idea of how we want to do things. And God has a way that is life-giving and it's completely called to what we're, and, and we're actually tailored and created to do that. And so for me, this is it. I love my life. I love getting the pastor of this church. I love getting to serve you. And if you notice, we don't have all that crazy fighting going on here. We, 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 we don't do all of that. Why? Because we just said a long time ago, this is not what we're going to be about. We're not going to be about us. We're going to be about lost people. And it's amazing when you are, when a church exists for themselves, when they exist to sing what they want to sing and play what they want to play and say what they want to say and hear what they want to hear and do what they want to do, they become a bunch of inbred, navel-gazing Christians that start fighting over things that have no relevance in eternity. 
But when a church is about reaching people far away from God, when a church is about serving those that are, un, that are unserved, when a church is about, about the heart of Christ, which is to seek and save that which is lost, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit, God the Father through the person of the Holy Spirit, begins to serve us. And there's this awesome sense that the church is healthy and growing and vibrant. So let's get back to you. I'm going to go back to this statement again. They're going to show it on the screen one more time. I, your name, am created to blank. How do you fill that out? How do you fill that out? What do you do with that? I've told you what it is for me. I've explained kind of a little bit of that genesis for me. What about for you? What's your responsibility and my responsibility to either discover and or evaluate that statement our entire lives. We either discover that, and once we discover it, we should be in a case of evaluation our entire lives. Discovery. How do you find your plan or your purpose in Christ in, 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 in your life? It's through Jesus. If you have your Bible, you can turn me to Ephesians chapter 1. If not, I'm going to read it for you. The, the message, it's a transliteration, but it says it great. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. For part of our overall purpose, he is working out in everything and in everyone. Look at that again. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. When I pursue Jesus, I will discover what my I am statement is. When I pursue Jesus, he will give me the vision, the dream, the plan, the revelation of what I need to do with my life. When I pursue Jesus, I'll find the focus. When I pursue Jesus, I'll find the endurance for the race. When I pursue Jesus, I'll find the fulfillment. I'll find the kazone for my life. So what is that for you? And I just want to say this. Sometimes when we have a message like this, people kind of get this idea behind with them. They kind of go, well, you know, Aaron, I mean, like, I get it. Like, man, you're called to pastor and to lead, and, and that's kind of your deal. But, but you know, I, I'm just called to work at the factory. I'm just called to do this job. I'm just called to raise these kids. What I do is not as spectacular or sensational or public as what you do. I, I, maybe this is just for you. No, let me say two things. Number one, as Christ followers, according to, according to um, the book of Ephesians, we are either called to the marketplace ministry or we're called to vocational ministry. Vocational ministry is what I do for a living. It's what I do. So you work for the church. You derive your income from the church and from the work of God predominantly. Doesn't mean that you can't have any other outside interests, but it just means that that's predominantly what you do. So missionaries, youth pastors, the staff, that's what we're here. We're here to serve you, help you, to equip you to do the work of ministry. So you're either called to do that or you are called to the marketplace, which means you're a Christ follower and the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you and God has a plan and a purpose, a vision, a kazone for your life, whether it's on the factory floor, whether it's an office cubicle, whether it's a stay-at-home parent, whether it's in, a, it's in the C-suite of a, a corporate office, whatever it may be, God's called you to something. And that's your responsibility to discover it. And people push back on this. I've had this conversation with, with Christians for years. 
I just don't know. I just think it's just blah, 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 blah. Again, it's the Antichrist spirit. God has no vision because the devil can't keep you from serving Christ. He just wants to make you dead in your tracks, just kind of DOA, that you're, that you're not contagious, that you don't do anything, that you can't affect anybody else. Because you're not going to affect other people. Listen, you're not ever going to lead anybody to Christ unless you've got a vision for it. You're not going to see your family come to faith in Jesus Christ unless you have a vision for it. You're not going to see friends and neighbors one to Christ unless you have a vision for it. You're not going to change your world unless you have a vision for it. And they don't make statues for people who, who, who criticize people that change the world, only for people that really change the world. And I'd give you a case in point on this. My father who's never preached a sermon, his late 60s, retired, probably never will preach a sermon. But my dad loved his wife and stayed committed in a marriage and a relationship when like anybody else, it would have been easy from time to time to say, we're done. My dad got up every morning and put on those steel-toed work boots and provided for his family when it would have been easy to fold like a cheap suit. My father lived it out in real day, everyday shoe leather, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. My dad taught me what it was to honor God with a tithe. My dad taught me what it was to honor God with a work ethic. My father taught me and my brother what it was to live for Jesus. And when I get to heaven and I stand before God and I lay everything in his feet, whatever I've accomplished for the kingdom, whoever I've won to Christ, whoever I've led to Christ, whatever missionary endeavor, whatever missionary gift, whatever teaching, whatever church that God has used Tammy and I to grow, to lead, to do whatever, whatever that is, my father will have greater than me because he raised me. He raised my brother. He loved my mother. He led his life and continues to live his life for Christ. And I'm just telling you, you're not just a factory worker. You're not just an office cubicle worker. You're not just a stay-at-home mom. You're not just blah, blah, blah. No, you are created to do something. And every day of my life, as I pastor, as I preach, as I teach, as I prepare a sermon, I think, how will this get through to Gerald Cole? How would this get through to Paula Cole? How would this minister when we were kids and times were tough and money was tough? I think about how, how do you deal with this when you get up and you preach, but you know these people are going to get up at 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the morning and they're going to go to a factory and work 10 and 12 hours a day. That's why my rear end gets up out of bed and I work. And this staff, we work. And if you don't work, you don't work at Life Church because we're not going to be a bunch of lazy, fat, we may be fat, preachers. I learned that from my father. Not from a pastor, not from a Bible college professor, but from a man who lived it out. Was he perfect? No way. Did he have issues? For sure. We all do. We're all jacked up but he lived it out. And so I would tell you, I think his purpose is greater than me and my brother, but I think that's part of it. And I'm here today because of a man like that. So if you know what your I am statement is, then it's your responsibility to evaluate that. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with your calling? How are you doing with the vision? How are you doing with the dream that God's given you? I just want to kind of close with, with this. There's going to be opponents to whatever vision or dream that you're going to have. 
not everybody's going to like it. The, the, the first opponent's pretty obvious. It's the devil. We kind of get that. I know we're at church. You think, oh, yeah, great, great. But it's true. John chapter 10, verse 10 says that the thief, the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And understand, when you begin to go public with whatever it is that God's put in your heart to do, the enemy will be one of the first to come after you. The Bible says he goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If he could have destroyed my father, where would I be? If he would have destroyed my parents' marriage, where would I be? If he would have destroyed me, where would I be? Not perfect. But I'm telling you that when you, that's one of the reasons why I say it's an antichrist spirit to say there is no vision, there's no passion, there's no vision, there's no calling for your life. Because when, when you, w w without that, the enemy basically has you inoculated. He, he basically has you detained. He basically has you kind of quarantined off. You can't affect anybody else because you don't even know how to lead yourself. Look, if you don't have a vision or a plan or a dream for your life, you're not even leading yourself. So you're not going to lead anybody else. So even if he can get you to buy into that lie that you're a nothing and that you're a nobody or that that ship has sailed in your life or that's just something for idealists and for young people, he's got you. Or maybe you're in the middle of it and you're fighting it and just don't forget, he is on the prowl. He is seeking you whom he may devour and destroy. Second group of people that are opponents to vision are other people, others. This is good old-fashioned jealousy. When you have a dream, when you have a vision, when you have a plan, there will be haters. Haters going to hate, right? One of my favorite songs right now is a spiritual. I think it is, but it's Taylor Swift. Just shake, shake, shake it off. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of haters in this world. Social media doesn't do anything but magnify the haters. People hate this, they hate that. I mean, everybody hates everybody. It's not new. Genesis chapter 37 Speaking of Joseph, the dreamer, his brothers, this is how they viewed him. Verse 19, here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come on, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. That's his family. Hard family, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, like, that's hard. But I'm telling you, be careful who you tell your dreams to. Be careful who you share your dreams with, lest they try to take you out. And the third opponent to vision is you. Real simple, it's you. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Sometimes we lose faith. Sometimes we lose sight. Sometimes we give up. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, don't become weary and well-doing for in due season, if you don't quit, Love that phrase. You'll have your reward. Man, it's tiring. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. I don't like to do it. Yeah. You know one of the things about a pastoring I don't like to do? I don't like to be responsible. I like to be responsible for me, my family. I don't want to be responsible for your spiritual leadership. And, I, and the more I tell church people, hey, don't look at me. I'm jacked up. I'm flawed. People go, oh, isn't he just so humble and nice? No, I'm being honest. <laughs> there are days I look at our staff and their young families. And young families, these husbands and wives, they just, 
They're fruitful and they multiply and they keep multiplying and multiplying and I don't know how to get it to stop and they keep having these babies and I just feel responsible. And I know God's ultimately responsible, but it's like, y'all stop. This is wigging me out. I don't want to do this. There are days I go, I don't know that I can do this. Me, not, not you, me. And we all feel that way from time to time. I express that, not because I'm going to give up, not because I'm quitting. Don't, oh, let's pray for pastor. He's going to resign. People, I got a good gig. I ain't going anywhere. Um, but I'm just saying, you have those moments. I quit every Monday morning, but before I quit, I have myself a grande, skinny, cinnamon, dolce latte. And I say to myself, self, you can go one more week. Amen. <laughs> That's natural. But remember, sometimes you can be your own worst enemy. That's why you better be in the word. You better be around church people or godly people with wisdom that can speak into your life, that can encourage you. The dream originates with God, but it resides in you, and it's yours to take care of. Let me just say this, and I'm going to be done. If you are trying to discover the vision and the purpose and the plan for your life, I think this year is no greater year but this year to start doing that. If you don't know what it is, I don't care if you're 65. There is a reason. If you have no other resolution this year, make this your resolution. I'm going to be on a journey. I'm going to seek Jesus, and I'm going to get along with God. I'm going to listen to his voice. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to, get to begin to pray, and I'm really going to be again to make this a serious matter of focus in my life. God, what do you want me to do? Next week, we're starting a series on the Holy Spirit called The Ghost. We're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about how he works and how he operates and how he infills us and how it's not something that's weird or mystical, but it's something that God wants to use in your everyday life. We're going to give you an opportunity in, the, in, in this series to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit and to have that alive in your life. I don't know how people live without that. Because he's the one that stokes that fire and stokes that passion. He's the one that gives revelation of the kazon that Proverbs talks about. So I want to encourage you. Be here. Be a part in this series. It's going to be amazing as we take this road. And I want to say this one thing too. Maybe you go, hey, I'm just a kid. Man, I'm just in junior high. And my voice is changing. Or you're in high school. Maybe you're in college. And parents, don't, listen, can I say this to you as moms and dads? Don't, don't belittle what God may be doing in your children's lives. God speaks to children. Oh, here he goes. I knew he was going off in the deep end. He's going to go off now. No, he does. And he may talk to you early on in your life about what he wants you to do. And if your children come to you and go, here's something I think the Lord may be, listen to them. There's spiritual precedent for this. And if you are a junior high or a high school or a college age kid, don't buy into the antichrist ideology in the world that you're just a kid, so just go live it up because you're going to have to be an adult one day. No, God has a plan and a purpose from your life. And to the greatest extent that God wants to do something great in your life, it's typically, it's typically directly connected to the age in which he speaks to you. It's all throughout Scripture. This past week, I was on, on, on break, and, and Ava, my youngest and I, she's in middle school, and we were going on our way to Culver's. Dude, don't hate me because you ain't me. Culver's, I love me some Culver's. Crinkle fries, anybody? Woo, 
Hallelujah. Yeah, and I was getting a double bacon cheeseburger with everything on it because it was a day before my diet and then the day after I fell off, right? So pray for me. Okay. So we were on our way and I said, hey, babe, I said, you're getting to an age where God is going to begin to speak to you about your life. God has a great plan and a purpose for your life as he does for all of us. And it's your responsibility to figure out what that is. I can't tell you because God's going to speak to you about this because God works through authority. And even though I'm an authority in your life, he may speak to me, but he's going to speak to you directly. Do you know what, I under, what I'm saying? And she said, I think I do, Dad. And I said, well, explain to me. If you feel like you've heard the Lord, maybe speak to your heart. She said, yeah, I think I have. Well, explain to me. She said, well, this past summer we were on a mission trips. Parenthetical thought. Parents, is a great reason why you need to get your kids on mission trips. Change the place, change the pace, you change the perspective. God begins to move and speak. That's all I'm going to say about that. She said, I was on a mission trip, Dad, this summer to Minneapolis. And Pastor Noel and Pastor Kevin were talking about how we just need to begin to pray that God wanted to use us and he was going to do great things and we need to believe for great things. And in the middle of that, I felt like I saw a, a girl's face and, and that, that, that God wanted me to pray for her. I'd never seen her before. And I, so I just began to pray and I just felt like I was going to see her. And that night at the outreach, I saw this little girl look just like the girl in the vision. It looks like the girl that I was praying for. She said, I think that's what you're talking about, Dad. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I said, baby, God will begin to speak into your life what he wants you to do. In the Old Testament, there was a lady named Hannah. And the Bible says that she prayed unto God for a child, and God gave her a son. And she brought the son to the house of God to the priest to Eli, the priest. And she gave him to Eli. And she said to Eli, for this child I have prayed and God has heard my prayers. He's answered me and he's blessed me with this child. So I know this child is from God and needs to be dedicated unto God. And so, and so Eli, I'm going to give him to you. Because only the priest came from the lineage of the priest. So the priest, typically it was his sons that were the priests, and it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a birthright more than it was a calling. And Eli takes the boy. His name is Samuel. And we know who Samuel is. Samuel named the first king of Israel. Samuel will anoint David king of Israel. Samuel will be the one that will come to David and confront him on his sin. It will be Samuel who will be the man of God at the most powerful time in Israeli history in the Old Testament. God will use Samuel as his voice. But Samuel's a tweener. He's a middle schooler. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, that in the middle of the night, Samuel begins to hear someone calling his name. And he thinks it's Eli the priest. So he gets out of bed and he walks down the hallway and knocks on the door of the priest and door. And he said, he said, Eli, have you called me? He said, no, son, I haven't called you. Go lay back down. Samuel gets in the bed and again this happens. He hears, he, hears, he hears someone calling his name, Samuel. And he gets up and he walks down the door and he knocks on the door uh, and says, Eli, did you call me? He said, no, son, I didn't call you. Go lay back down. A third time this happens. And the third time God speaks to Eli and says, I'm trying to speak to the boy. And Eli said, no, son, I didn't, but God is speaking. And when you go back to your room and you shut your door and you lay in your bed, and next time you hear that voice, I just want you to say, speak for your servant hears. And the Bible says that young Samuel goes and does just that. 
And he hears the voice of God. And he says, speak, God, for your servant hears. And God begins to tell Samuel his kazone, his future, his vision, his plan, his purpose for his life. And maybe you are in middle school and God has a calling on your life. Maybe you're in high school and there is something that God has called you to do. Maybe you're in college and you're wrestling with it. I don't know where you are. But I am telling you that God speaks. This world will tell you that he doesn't. But God speaks. And he wants to give you vision. And he wants to give you purpose. And he wants to give you passion for the life in which he's called you to. And I want to encourage you. Just simply get alone with God and say, Lord, speak, because your servant hears. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, don't push your children away like they don't know. Many times they're more open to the voice of God than we are. What is your I am statement? How are you doing with that statement? I encourage you, if you don't know, make that your pursuit this year. If you do know, evaluate yourself. Make course corrections. Re-up. Get along with God and get, get energized by that passion and that calling that God has for you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today. Lord, for your word. I thank you today, God, for, for, God, for just the fact that you give us life, that you give us future, that you give us passion, that you give us hope for today and tomorrow. And I pray, oh God, in our lives, let us, Lord, pursue you to find out on that journey of what that kazone is for us. God, help us not to let the enemy of our soul or other people or even ourselves to push it out. But God, rather, let us be people, God, that are committed, that listen to your voice and that simply do what you call us to do. I pray this year, let us find that kazone for our life. Let us find that I am statement for our life. Let us finish that declarative sentence and let us live it out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.